You're listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church of Van Walsteen. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Wow, you sound great today. I love to worship with you. Let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 6. And uh, we encourage you to pray for Keegan this afternoon. Uh, We will be convening an ordination council for Keegan. Uh, to be ordained, and so some would say that is the pastor's equivalent of the bar exam. Uh, I don't know if that's quite that intense, but I do expect you to be able to uh, settle the tension between Arminianism and Calvinism this afternoon, Keegan, if you could take care of that for us, that'll be great, Uh, but we're looking forward to that, so uh, some of our own will be gathering along with Keegan's dad, and uh, he'll be doing that, so looking forward to this afternoon. John chapter 6 is where we will be today. We're going to be looking at verses 41 through 59. Uh, several years ago in a piece entitled, it was actually a, uh, a photographic piece uh, entitled No Seconds, uh, the photographer, a guy by the name of Henry Hargraves, he captured the haunting images of death row inmates' uh, last meal requests. One inmate by the name of Victor Figaro, he was uh, put to death in the state of Iowa at the age of 28. And for his last meal, he requested a single olive with a pit in it. It's a pretty uh, harrowing picture, actually, when you consider the context. Uh, The infamous serial killer, John Wayne Gacy, requested 12 fried shrimp, uh, a bucket of original recipe KFC chicken... French fries, and a pound of strawberries. Uh, Prior to his conviction, apparently, Gacy managed uh, three KFC restaurants. Timothy McVeigh, uh, the infamous domestic terrorist, requested two pints of mint chocolate chip ice cream for his final meal. Now, my understanding is that in the state of Texas, anyway, they no longer allow you to do that. Uh, Place a special order for your final meal meal. You eat whatever is served that day to the general population of the prison. But those are all meals that lead one to death. It's kind of a morbid thought. and I I doubt that any of us sit down at a meal and think to ourselves, well, this could be my last meal. In our current sermon series, Person of Interest, we're in John chapter 6, where Jesus is giving what is known as his bread of life Discourse. This is the, the first of his I am statements. He says here very clearly, I am the bread of life. And in this discourse, Jesus defines the purpose of his coming. And he does that with an explanation that stretches from before the foundation of the world to his incarnation, to his earthly ministry, to his death and his resurrection, and ultimately all the way to what he describes as the last day. While the scope of this dialogue is absolutely breathtaking, it's interesting that Jesus offends his hearers because of the shocking revelation that they must feed on his flesh and drink his blood in order to be saved. If a person were dropped for the very first time into a biblical text and they found themselves reading these few verses that we're going to be looking at today, they might think, what in the world is this? What does he mean? 
Why do the Galilean Jews not believe him? What does Jesus want from us? And in this section, Jesus answers all these questions by teaching that hungry sinners may feed on life by faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so in the text that we're going to consider today, Jesus is fundamentally talking about a choice, as he often does. He's talking about two fundamentally different ways of living. He's talking about really a tale of two meals. There is a meal, food, that leads to death, and there is a meal that leads to life. And he's calling us to repent from the one, turn from the one, in order to embrace the other. So let's pick it up in verse number 41 here of John chapter 6. So the Jews grumbled at him. Imagine that, a group of Jews grumbling. They grumbled at him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were incredulous when they considered this. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? I mean, we know this guy. How can he make this claim? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. In verse 48, he says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, your ancestors, in other words, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh... Uh, Eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. You have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I have, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Now for context sake, we need to remember this morning that Jesus had just miraculously multiplied a handful of barley loaves and a couple of small fish to feed a crowd that uh, exceeded 5,000 people. And after that, the crowd was so taken with what they had just seen, what they had just experienced, that they actually, on the spot, wanted to enthrone Jesus as the king. Obviously, someone who can do the kind of thing that Jesus did, the kinds of things that Jesus did, deserves some kind of earthly power, right? Well, that's not the kind of kingdom that Jesus came to establish, however. They were looking really for an earthly king who would set up this earthly kingdom and overthrow Roman rule. But that's not what he came to do. 
So he withdraws onto the mountain away from the crowd, this group who wants to make him king. His disciples get on the boat, and they try to cross the Sea of Galilee, and they, they come into a storm. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago, and Jesus actually meets them on the way, comes walking on the water. And when he comes to them, he, he stills their fears, and he stills the storm, and he brings them to the safe haven on the other side at Capernaum. Well, they don't see another boat come, so they know that Jesus didn't get on that boat. And so uh, when other boats start coming the next morning and Jesus isn't to be found, they get on one of those other boats and they follow Jesus across the sea to Capernaum where they ask him, how did you get here? What happened in the middle of the night? When did you come here? And Jesus doesn't answer those questions because if he does, they probably will again want to enthrone him as king. Not that he isn't the king, but he's not the kind of king that they're looking for. So Jesus then tells them, fundamentally, you have two choices. You have two options in front of you. You may eat the bread that perishes. You can can seek the bread that perishes. He's saying, if you eat this, you're ultimately going to die. You're going to perish. Instead, you need to eat this other bread, the, the other meal that will endure to eternal life. In fact, you might say, really, fundamentally, that the entire Bible is a tale of two meals. Beginning in the Garden of Eden, God gave the entire garden to Adam and Eve to eat. But but we read in Genesis chapter 2 that there were two trees that were uniquely singled out. The tree of life is in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said to them in Genesis chapter 2, verse number 16 and following, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for on the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. If you eat the meal from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to perish. You are going to die. You're probably familiar with what we would say is the rest of the story. Adam and Eve disobey God's commandment. Just as God had promised, they died. They died spiritually, and eventually they died physically. They were alienated from God, alienated from their creator, expelled from the Garden of Eden. And this is interesting. Because we read God saying in Genesis chapter 3, Behold, the man has become like one of us, and knowing good and evil. But then, here's the part that we leave out many times. It goes on to say there, Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever. So you're talking about one meal that leads to death, and another that leads to life. This is another way of saying he will experience eternal life. So Jesus is saying, look, fundamentally there are two meals here, just like at the beginning of the story. That's what he's telling these uh, these Jews now there at Capernaum. You can eat food that will cause you to die, or you can seek the food that will give you life, which I will offer you. Okay, fair enough, right? So that's where the crowd then takes him up on his offer, and that's what they say as we, as we looked at a week or so ago in verse number 28, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who was sent. He goes back to his very reason for writing the gospel itself. These things are written so that you may believe. Believe in whom? Believe in what? Believe in the sent one, as he's often described uh, in John's gospel here. He is the, the sent one. 
So then they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may believe, see, and believe you? What work do you perform? And then they, they, they kind of get historical for a moment. And they said, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. You know, if you, you just give us another one of these meals, that, this meal that we're seeking, that, that would prove it. That would settle it for us. This is kind of ridiculous because the, the day before, they were so awed, so, so awestruck by the sign that Jesus performed that they wanted to enthrone him as king. The other reason this is ridiculous is because if they remembered the story, the ancient Israelites, their forefathers, who ate manna in the wilderness, weren't satisfied by that food either. There's an interesting account in the book of Numbers, chapter 11, where we read, Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. They were fed every day from the food that came down from heaven, the food that this, now this crowd of Galileans is trying to get Jesus to give them again. The people of Israel also wept again and said, We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. In other words, we were in bondage. We were slaves. We were treated harshly in our slavery. They were murdering our male infants when they were, when they were born. But oh, the food. <laughs> Remember the food? <laughs> it's so crazy. Why can't we eat of that meal in the house of bondage again? You see, the whole Bible tells this story over and over again. It's a recurring theme. It's a fairly common thing to see these two meals put against each other. A meal that leads to death and a meal that leads to life. And the problem was Jesus is saying, if, if, if I just give you this bread that you are longing for, if I just give you that one thing, not only would you not find satisfaction in that, but the day would come when you would actually revile the manna that I give you. So today's outline is really very simple. There are just two points, and I want us to consider, first of all, a death row meal request. A death row meal request. Jesus is saying, I'm the reality that you're looking for. I'm the meal that you need. So then, why then don't these people repent and turn to him? Why don't we repent and turn to him? See, here's the problem that Jesus is explaining. Originally, there was this choice in the garden, a tale of two meals. And the choice was, you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you forfeit life. All of us, as descendants of Adam, we're still suffering indigestion from the meal that Adam ate. <clears throat> Think about it. We inherited his sin nature. We inherit his guilt. We inherit a disposition that Adam gained from that moment on that bends us towards sin. Jesus, the bread of life, is offering a meal of life, a life-giving meal, and we don't want it. Why? It's because we inherited Adam's sin nature. We have that in us. The problem is not just that we need a solution to stand in front of us. The solution is there. He's here. And we don't naturally want it. Apart from Christ, we don't want Christ. The original choice 
necessitated that God would put forth a plan, a plan where, we, where, where he would save us in spite of ourselves, in spite of the way that we don't want him, in spite of the fact that we were alienated from him, cut off from him, we didn't want him. We want our own meals. We want to feast in the house of bondage. Thank you very much. We have a death row meal request. So Jesus says in verse 37, here's the plan. From before the foundations of the earth were laid, the Father chose a people for himself in the Son. God looked on the entire human race, recognized that the entire human race was guilty, condemned, and was righteously, righteously, justly doomed to eternity, separated from God. Recognize the fact that none of us of our own will would want to come to God on our own. You may be sitting here in your pride thinking, but pastor, I'm a pretty good person. No. There is a work of the Father that Jesus talks about a little bit later in verses 44 and 45. That the Father will draw those whom he is giving to the Son. The Father will teach those whom he has given to the Son about Jesus. Here's the thing. We cannot come to Jesus unless the Father, through the Spirit, does this gracious work in our lives. Because we don't naturally want God. We want to feast in the house of bondage. It's why I often remind you here that that Jesus did not come to just make good people better. He came to make dead people alive. And the last time I checked, dead people don't just, on their own abilities, they don't just get up and do stuff, right? It doesn't work that way. So you've got to be made alive by the gospel itself. Let's consider now free food for life. You ever entered one of those contests, maybe your favorite restaurant, like where they, you know, you win this contest, you're going to get like free Chick-fil-A for a year, whatever. I mean, you talk about an offer here. This makes free Chick-fil-A for a year seem like nothing. We're talking free food for life. This is good news for sinners like you and me. Because here's the thing. Your salvation is not based on how smart you are. Boy, am I grateful for that. So it's not like, well, I'm really sharp and I was able to reason my way to God. No, it doesn't work like that. It's not based on that. Your salvation is not based on your own goodness, your your holiness, your personal righteousness. You you sit there and think all day long, well, I'm just a better person than so-and-so, or I'm better than most people, and so I sort of naturally gravitated toward Jesus because of my goodness and my holiness. No, it's not about that. We've fallen so far short. It's not about our strength of will. Some people say, well, I'm just super disciplined. Whatever it takes, step by step, I'm going to lay out a plan for myself to get myself to Jesus. doesn't work that way. You have already failed. I've already failed. Psalm 51.5 reminds us that even in our conception, we were conceived in sin, already guilty from the moment you came out of the womb, and unless God graciously intervenes in your life, you will never come to Jesus. So how do we get this free meal for life, free food for life? Again, verse 44 says, For this is the will of my Father, that anyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The gospel is that if you look to Jesus in faith, 
We do because the Father has drawn you and the Father has taught you who the Son is because through looking on Jesus in faith, you will be saved. Look on Jesus and be saved. Turn from your feasting in the house of bondage and go to Jesus. He is the plan of God put forth in the fullness of time so that we might be saved. So here's the question then. If this is all true, let's go back to the first chapter of the tale of two meals. You remember what happened when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden? Do you remember what happened to the tree of life? Adam and Eve, they were barred from it. They couldn't come back to it. So how do you claim this free food for life? And that's where I want to remind you what it says here in verses 52 through 59. It says, The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us this flesh to eat? So Jesus came to them, said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh, drinks my blood, abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Free food for life. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So that's the section I was referencing earlier when I said, if you were to just drop a person into this particular text and they were to read those words, they would be like, what in the world is this? Sounds like cannibalism, doesn't it? (laughs) That's not what Jesus is talking about. Now, make no mistake, he uses graphic, vivid language here. We're called to eat his flesh, drink his blood. What could that possibly mean? Go back to the garden. The cherubim guarding the way to the tree of life, Scripture tells us, had a sword that was moving back and forth in every direction. And what Jesus is saying is that the way back to the tree of life requires death. That's what he's talking about. You see, later when the Israelites built the tabernacle, which was a picture of the Garden of Eden, by the way, the the, the Levites were stationed around, and the same language was used about them that was used about the cherubim. That any outsider who comes near you shall be put to death. You shall treat them as a hostile. You, You should put to death anyone who would dare approach the holiness of God, the way of life, the tree of life, which was inside, that symbolized inside the tabernacle. The way back into the tree of life requires passing under the flaming sword of God's judgment. And when Jesus talks about his flesh and his blood, he's talking about the death that must be suffered in order to permit us to enter back into fellowship and communion with God. A death must happen. Blood must be shed in order for us to come back into union and communion with God himself. And Jesus does this in the crucifixion. His flesh was torn. His blood was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus said, you've got to feed on this. He's talking about believing in the death and resurrection of Christ. We cannot believe in sort of a a vague, impersonal Jesus or just a Jesus who's a nice guy or a good moral teacher 
The only way to get back into the way of life, the tree of life, to eat the meal of life, the bread of life that Jesus offers us, is if there's a sacrifice. Jesus says, though you're the ones who deserve it, though you're the ones who brought the judgment of God upon yourselves, I won't send you under the flaming sword. Instead, I myself will go through. I'll go through it to open back the way into communion with God so that you can feast with God in fellowship with him. <laughs> and there's one last chapter to the tale of two meals. It's interesting that John 6 here drives us to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. But it also takes us to the last book, the book of Revelation comes in Revelation chapter 19, where we read about the wedding supper of the Lamb. Jesus says that a day will come when, we, when he will raise up from the dead all those who look on him with faith. The day is coming. And when that happens, what we will do is depicted as feasting with God and with the Lamb. We're going to feast with him. We're going to eat. There's going to be a feast. And that there's still that death row meal. If you keep reading in Revelation chapter 19, it's that judgment is coming. And again, there's very graphic language. They call for the great supper of God to the birds who eat the flesh of those who have rejected Christ. It's graphic, but it symbolizes the eternal punishment that awaits those who are apart from Jesus Christ. This is the story of the whole Bible. It's a tale of two feasts. It's a plan that God put forward in Jesus Christ for salvation for us when we were helpless in our bondage to sin. It's a provision of Jesus going to the cross for us, suffering God's wrath against us. And those who look to Jesus in faith will one day be raised up with the, new res- with the same resurrection to life forevermore. Feast will feast on Christ in heaven and glory by faith through our communion with him, our joyful intimacy with him forever and ever. And so the proclamation of the gospel is this. Number one, do you see Jesus and the meal that he offers you as the bread of life as fully and completely satisfying? Do you recognize how much death is in the things that we will give ourselves to? So I have no doubt in a room this size, this many people, that there are some still sitting here and you're thinking, you know what? I still want to feast on this meal in the house of bondage. I'll figure this salvation thing out for myself. I will somehow, some way, figure out a way to be good enough. That is a meal in the house of bondage. Bondage to sin and self-righteousness. It is a death row meal request. It's, it's, a, it's an olive with a pit in the middle. You think that's going to satisfy? Not at all. Not at all. So the things that we choose apart from Christ, our own self-righteousness, our good works, our best efforts, checking boxes on a list, the things that these Jewish people, they wanted to do, That's choosing a meal in the house of bondage. It's a meal that ultimately leads to death. I wonder this morning, do you see Jesus 
as your hope, your only hope? Do you see him on the cross suffering for you in your place? Do you see Christ and him crucified and resurrected as your only way to communion with God? Or at the end of the day, you still want your feast in your house of bondage, your death row meal. It's a tale of two meals. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment, my hope and prayer this morning, as odd as some of the language in this text may be, as misunderstood as it often is, I hope that you can see the clarity of the gospel here. There is a meal that leads ultimately to death. It may look a little different from person to person. For some of you, it may be your own good works, your best efforts. You're striving and hoping that someday, somehow, some way, you'll be good enough. That's a meal in the house of bondage that ultimately leads to death. It's a death row meal request. Or do you see this morning that Jesus is in himself? He is the bread of life. In his substitutionary death, his resurrection, he paid a price, a penalty that he did not owe. For your freedom and my freedom, so that we could have life. So if you're here today and you've never turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, you not partake of the bread of life today by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Would you pause long enough to ask yourself, am I, am I making a death row meal request by trying to do this on my own? By trying to be good enough? By trying to behave better? Or will you rely fully upon Jesus Christ, the one who died in your place? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the clear teaching of your word today. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand anything and everything that is not Christ and him crucified, whether it's having your name on a church roll, even being baptized, attending a small group, being involved in ministry every single week, whatever it may be, anything that is apart from Christ and Christ alone is a death row meal request. 
It's a desire somehow, some way to continue to eat in the house of bondage. Help us to know and understand today that it's only through faith in Jesus Christ that we can have true life, eternal life. So, Lord, we thank you and we praise you for the work that you're doing in hearts and lives. And we pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, the power of your word, draw those to yourself who have not yet trusted you as Savior and Lord. We thank you and we praise you now. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.